From Murphy to Mancio, extraordinary athletes, coaches, administrators, and contributors have impacted the North Carolina sports landscape. For some, their talents left an indelible mark. So much so, they are enshrined in the North Carolina Sports Hall of Fame. It's time to chat with one of those Hall of Famers who dared to be as tall and stately as our Longleaf Pines. Here is your host of 15 Minutes of Fame, Chris Edwards. Welcome to 15 Minutes of Fame. I'm Chris Edwards. This week on the podcast, we hit the Wayback Machine 35 years ago, and we take a look back at one of the wilder and wackier professional baseball games in our state's history. The beauty of baseball, there's no clock, no time limit. And that was certainly on display on June the 25th when the Burlington Indians and the Bluefield Orioles got together for one of the most memorable professional baseball games in our state's history. Now, as we fast forward to present day, our executive director of the North Carolina Sports Hall of Fame, Trip Durham, happened to be in attendance for that ball game 35 years ago, and he recounts his memories of the 27-inning thriller between the Indians and the Orioles. Trip, it's all yours. Twenty-four hours in baseball, an excerpt from my soon-to-be-written diary. Okay, not all true. I've been putting this thing off for about 30 years. I normally did not wake up at 6 a.m. as a 20-year-old back in 1988. But on this summer's morning, it was my job as the clubhouse manager for the then Burlington Indians to take Max Pacton, the clown prince of baseball, to the airport. Max had just played Burlington Athletic Stadium the night before, and you may not remember the name Max Pacton, but you sure remember who Max was. 30 years ago, Max helped open up the movie Bull Durham. Remember the song Rock Around the Clock in the opening sequence? Remember the old man dressed in an old baseball outfit? He was sort of clucking around through the stands and spewing water from the field from his lips? That was Maxie. And Max and I loaded up the car in Burlington, North Carolina that early morning, June the 24th, and headed to Greensboro. That was his airport. It was 30 minutes away, and this native of King of Prussia, Pennsylvania, was happy to tell minor league baseball stories to just about anybody that would listen. And at the time, I was that anybody. So 30 minutes to the Greensboro airport, being regaled by stories, and then 30 minutes back to Burlington Athletic Stadium. Having dropped Max off, I was heading back to the stadium to get ready for the next game. It was against the Bluefield Orioles. That would be some 11 hours later. And as a clubhouse manager, my work was never really done. Always shining shoes, cleaning uniforms, vacuuming carpets, keeping the dugout straight. I had to get all that done before the players showed back up for batting practice long about 2.30. The Indians were set to take on the Bluefield Orioles that night. Game time was set for 7 o'clock. For some reason, the game didn't start until about 7.17. And as my memory has it, that seemed to be a regular occurrence with the Appalachian League franchise. Never could quite get the 18-year-old players all in one position ready to go for the start of a a ball game. So as it was, we started at 7-17, and the game moved along pretty much well at a snail's pace for a good five or six innings. By the time we got to the top of the ninth, it was 2-2. We were all tied. Burlington had a chance to win the ball game in the bottom of the ninth, but could not do it. So to extra innings, it went. 
2,200 people had shown up to the ballpark early on in the season. As a rookie league affiliate, the Burlington Indians played a short season schedule, and that was the case and still is with the Appalachian League. So both Bluefield and Burlington were only about six games in. The crowd was pretty excited that night because Burlington had just come off a 1987 Appalachian League championship, a team that was pretty stellar as Cleveland was really starting to build its minor league system. In 1988, on this night, June the 24th, Mark Lewis was in the Burlington Indians lineup. This was Mark's first professional ball game. Mark was a bonus baby, signed early on in the Major League draft that had occurred just a few weeks earlier. Uh, Mark would get his professional start. Mark would bat 11 times on this night. He'd only get one hit. He would strike out seven times. So we played 10, still 2-2 the score. And the scoreboard at Burlington Athletic Stadium gets wiped away to start a brand new line score. I don't know if you've ever seen a scoreboard get wiped after 10 innings to reset for another 10 innings. That's disconcerting in and of itself. But then on the 21st inning, to see it wiped away again, well, at that point, it's getting a little old. 2,200 fans started the night. Duke Justice, the groundskeeper, he started the night too. And Long about 9, 30, 10 o'clock, he decided he was going to get home. There was nothing left for him to do at the stadium. The field was going to be in whatever condition it was going to be in, whether the game went a regulation nine innings or even further. So Duke figured he'd go home, cut his radio on, fall asleep, and just come back the next day. What about 2 a.m.? Duke woke up, radio still on, and Richard Musterer, the play-by-play guy for the Burlington Indians, was still calling the ball game. We had gone extra innings. Duke got out of bed, put on his clothes, came back to the ballpark. When he got there, he saw that much of the 2,200 fans that had started when he left crowded dwindled to about 84, 27 innings. The longest continuous time-wise baseball game ever to be played in professional baseball. Sure, Rochester had played 33 innings a couple of years prior, but that game was literally split between two days, stopped, and then restarted. The International League had a curfew rule back then, and so Rochester had to stop its game. But the Appalachian League knew no such curfew. So much so, Marty Nash, the general manager of the Burlington Indians, on that night woke Bill Halstead, the commissioner of the Appalachian League, woke him up and said, Bill, within the bylaws, is there anything that says we have to stop playing? Mr. Halstead looked through the bylaws as quickly as he could at that hour anyway and said, no, no reason to stop. Keep on going. So to this date, the Burlington-Bluefield game of 1988 is still the longest consecutively played, time-wise, ball game that's ever been marked in professional baseball. So we're long about 2-2-30, still a 2-2 score. We're at the bottom of the 24th inning, and the Burlington Indians have the bases loaded and nobody out. And after three outs, Burlington could not push a runner over. The home plate umpire, who's becoming quite hoarse at this point, walks over to the Burlington dugout and yells at Burlington Indian manager Mike Bucci, haven't you ever, Mike, heard of a bling-bling sacrifice? So we still continue to play. We get to the top of the 27th inning, and the only arm left to throw for the Burlington Indians is Dan Williams. Dan, a reserve catcher, brother of famed San Francisco Giant third baseman Matt Williams. Dan gets tagged with the loss because he gives up a bloop single that allows Bluefield to push a couple of runners over. 3-2 to two at the top of the 27th is the score. And in the bottom of the 27th, Burlington just cannot get it done. So at 3.37 a.m. on the morning of June the 25th, the box score becomes final. Bluefield wins 3-2. to two. 
I mentioned Richard Musterer. Richard, now the play-by-play voice for the Georgia Tech Yellow Jacket women's basketball program. I remember Richard signing off that night with just the final score and good night, everybody. There was no post-game show. I can only imagine what his line score looked like in his scorer's book. 27 innings is not a sheet that most scorebooks print. A few memories that really stand out for me that night. First and foremost, Carlos Moda, the nephew of Manny Moda. Carlos, for the Burlington Indians, caught all 27 innings of that ball game. He did get the next night off. Speaking of the next night, the same umpiring crew had the game, and the gentleman that was behind the plate, remember the one that was hoarse yelling at manager Mike Bucci? And the ball game the next night went one hour and 47 minutes. That's a stark contrast to the night before, a game that went eight hours and 16 minutes. I remember he was yelling at his partner, yelling as best he could, coming back down the tunnel to their locker room. I get eight hours and 16 minutes, and you get a buck 47. And we both get paid the same. Brian Johnson, a backup catcher for the Burlington Indians, had fallen asleep on the bench at about 1.30 in the morning. Mike Bucci needed a pinch hitter, so he yelled, Hey, BJ, you're up. BJ rubbed his eyes, stood up, walked to the on-deck circle, picked up a bat, Went to the batter's box, and the righty dug in, swung at the first pitch, hit a seed to left field, but the left fielder made the catch. B.J. flung his back back towards the dugout, walked down the steps, got to the bench, and went right back to sleep. And all that happened in just about the same amount of time in which I just described it to you. 87 fans, correction, 84 fans were left in the ballpark when the game was over. Marty Nash, the general manager that had called Bill Halstead to ask, is there a curfew? Marty had the bright idea the next day that he needed to print I Survive 27-inning t-shirts. The I Survive phenomenon in terms of print was pretty big back in the late 80s. So Marty commissioned 500 shirts to be printed. Now remember, there were 84 people left in the ballpark when it was all said and done. (laughs) Burlington sold out of all 500 t-shirts and reordered and sold a couple of hundred more after that. 84 were left. Over 500 shirts were sold. The game wrapped up just after 3.30 that morning, June the 25th, and it was my job as clubhouse manager to wash the uniforms, to shine the shoes, to vacuum the carpet. And I went ahead and did so. At that point, I was already up, so what's a couple of more hours? So at 6 a.m. on the morning of June 25th, 24 hours after I had started my day in baseball, I went home for a couple of hours sleep only to come back and get ready for yet another ball game. I've often thought that in sports administration, the best way to cut your teeth, to build your calluses, is to work in minor league baseball. And I'm so thankful that I did, and I'm also thankful that in a small way, I'm part of baseball history. I do treasure my days in minor league baseball, and I do treasure the time that I had with Max Packton. I don't miss shining all those shoes, and I certainly don't miss sitting on a hard dugout bench for eight hours and 16 minutes. All right, Tripp, thanks so much, and thank you for joining us for this look back at one of the wilder baseball games in our state's history. For the North Carolina Sports Hall of Fame, I'm Chris Edwards. 